0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Is It Cool That I Said All That, a gayler podcast hosted by me. My name is Madison. Thank you all so much for the amazing comments and feedback on the very first episode. I really was not expecting to have that much reception and for everybody to be so kind and supportive. So, thank you so much. A lot has happened since that first episode was released a couple of weeks ago. On the same day that that episode came out cosmopolitan put out a feature about camp gaylor which i was so honored to be interviewed for thank you so much to frankie de la cruz who came to the gaylor fest planning team and had just the best intentions about writing this article and shout out to cosmopolitan for respecting all of our boundaries that we had just in order to keep you know a group of queers safe even though I was like one of a few people named in the article that were a part of planning Camp Gaylor and Gaylor Fest, I want to acknowledge that there was a team of about 15 of us or more who put in work for like the past two years just to make um, last year's Gaylor Fest and this year's Gaylor Fest and Camp Gaylor all happen. And I love you all so much. You know who you are. I will link the Cosmopolitan article below. It's very exciting because this is one of the first times in mainstream media that our community has been represented and not just Gaylor theories. And that is why we were so grateful that Frankie was the one who wanted to write about Camp Gaylord just because their whole vision was our community deserves to be seen in a positive light. And it's not always about Taylor. You know, a lot of us are here because we've found friends in this community. Some of us, this is the only queer community that we even have virtually. So it was definitely a really important piece that I think our community as a whole deserved. And I'm very, very proud. So give it a read if you haven't already. It was just like a crazy, weird coincidence that um, the article came out on the same day as my podcast. And Taylor also announced the Eras Tour um, concert movie that same day. That was just such a crazy day. and And I would have never anticipated all three of those things happening on the same day. But here we are. <laughs> Before we get into today's topic, I realized that I didn't share in my first episode why I named the podcast Is It Cool That I Said All That, and I think that that's really important to name. So, in case you don't know, Is It Cool That I Said All That is a lyric from the song Delicate, which is on Taylor's album Reputation. Reputation came out in 2017. She put out a music video for Delicate and she's wearing this like fringy blue dress and dancing around as if she's invisible and no one can see her. I actually color matched the color of the dress to be the exact color of my cover art because I think that Like delicate blue color is really significant. And that blue also reminds me of the Rebecca Harkness biography, which is titled Blue Blood. And if you don't know, I am in the process of reading Blue Blood. It's a very, very long book. I've been in the process for over a year, but I just thought that that was a really cute, significant color for me to make my cover art. Also, in an interview, I think in 2019, around the time that Miss Americana was released, The director of the documentary, Lana Wilson, said in an interview that it was originally supposed to be called Is It Cool That I Said All That, which I've always been obsessed with that. I really wish they would have named it that, but Lana kind of implied that there was a change in um, direction for the film, and that was why they changed the name for it, which leads a lot of gaylers to speculate that the film was originally supposed to be more explicitly a queer coming out film of some sort, and they kind of pivoted to it being about her being a Democrat for who knows why. (laughs) But yeah, that's why I named the podcast, Is It Cool That I Said All That? It feels like a very cheeky little reference to what could have been a coming out documentary, or at least that's the lore that Gaylers have kind of created for it. So when I was planning for this podcast, I really wanted it to be like a Gaylor crash course. Like if Gaylor had college courses, this would be like Gaylor 110 or whatever. Like a little bit above the 101, but also still laying down kind of basic ideas having to do with the Gaylor theory. I notice a lot of people will interact with Gayler content, whether it's on TikTok, Twitter, and they're always asking for more context or they're a little bit confused. So I guess I wanted to make my podcast palatable enough for newer galers to lay down some groundwork knowledge of theories and why gayler is even a thing, as well as digging up some queer history that ties into Taylor and digging up like gayler theories that even the most elder seasoned gailers may not have known about or heard about. So I'm trying to cater to all Gaylors on this podcast. And in order for me to do that, I've been talking to my aunt, shout out to her, And she's not someone who is necessarily a fan of Taylor by any means, but she is intrigued by all of these Gaylor theories. So I was kind of asking her, what questions would you have or what questions would your friends have as millennials, a little bit older than myself, and as people who lived through an entire different era of Taylor? I mean, they lived through the same eras, I guess, but through a completely different lens, culturally and age-wise. And my aunt and all of her friends are queer, of course, so I was asking in order to kind of get a scope of what kinds of questions would people just barely getting into gayler theories, specifically people who are a little bit older and maybe weren't a fan of Taylor back in the day but are starting to warm up to her a little bit more and are curious. And I asked her what kind of questions she would have. And one of them that always comes up, not just with her, but with almost everyone that I have talked to about gayler theories in the past few years. Their first question is, why wouldn't she just come out? Okay, but if Taylor Swift is gay, why doesn't she just come out? Okay, but wouldn't she come out? And that question in and of itself is so interesting to me because obviously a younger queer person, I am not someone who officially ever came out. I just kind of am queer. The idea of coming out is kind of ridiculous and just caters to this heteronormative idea of straight being the default sexuality. Um, So straight until proven otherwise, I guess. And that's not how my brain functions. But I understand why coming out has been the standard in the past and why people You know, had to loudly and proudly scream that they were gay at one point in time. And people still do that now because that's what makes them, you know, happy to be seen in that way. That's not my personal experience. So when people ask me, why doesn't she just come out? My response in my head is always, why does she have to? And also, she is out. How do you define being out? Right? I think a lot of people's standards of defining coming out has to do with explicitly naming, I am queer, I am bisexual, I am lesbian. Which I totally understand because in a lot of senses, assuming that someone was gay or calling somebody gay at one point was like a form of bullying, I guess, when gay was associated with negative connotation. So people kind of get frustrated when people don't explicitly name that they're gay and when there's like hundreds of queer people being like, no, they're gay. I think it's kind of a soft spot for a lot of queer people who had their sexuality speculated on in a really negative way. I know a lot of younger queer people have commented on my TikToks before saying, it's not right for you to speculate on Taylor Swift's sexuality because at school people assumed that I was gay before I was ready to come out and it really harmed me in my whole process of figuring out my sexuality, which I completely understand, you know, like I was bullied for being gay in middle school and high school before I even called myself gay and I think the issue there isn't that people were picking up that I was gay because I was very clearly gay. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is homophobia and people assuming that gay has a negative connotation. And I guess that's just kind of the root problem of why people have issues with gaylors or people that speculate on celebrity sexuality in general. They kind of project their own experiences with homophobia onto what we are doing with our theorizing. Hence why they want an official coming out of Taylor saying, I am gay. And even then, I'm not really sure if they would believe her because, again, homophobia doesn't work on logic. Um, This is Madison. While I'm editing this episode, I plugged my microphone in just to acknowledge also that queer flagging is a thing, and that's exactly what Taylor Swift is doing, and it's what queer people have been doing for decades, ages, in order to recognize one another as queer without publicly saying they're queer, because it's dangerous to do that. So, I just wanted to acknowledge that also being a main factor in the confusion of whether Taylor Swift is quote-unquote out or not, because it first and foremost depends on your definition of out, and then it also depends on your knowledge in queer flagging and what you're willing to recognize in Taylor's music as that. That's all. Back to the episode. All of that to say that in this episode, I'm going to be answering the question, why doesn't Taylor Swift just come out? As we know, Taylor Swift was born and raised in rural Pennsylvania, where most people are Republicans, I think and then moved to Nashville as a teenager to pursue her country music career, which again is a conservative town. Country music is a conservative industry, and not just because of the 9-11, America first, like imperialistic themes that are in country music, but it's conservative because country music caters to conservative audiences. Country radio stations, Play music that cater to people with conservative values. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about country artist Shelly Wright, who came out as a lesbian in the 2010s. She was a really popular country musician, and she shares her experiences with homophobia in Nashville, so we'll get to that. We're also going to talk about an album called Lavender Country that was released in 1973, which was as far as i could find the first gay country album ever but overall from the research that i did on lavender country and shelly wright and just what i've picked up on watching the country music industry my whole life is that artists and celebrities are encouraged to match whatever the conservative audience's values are and hopefully after we talk about shelly wright and patrick Haggerty, who wrote the Lavender Country album, will have a really big rounded out understanding of how dangerous it is to be a queer country musician and how dangerous it is to closet in that industry and how necessary it is. In 1974, at the Grand Ole Opry, which is a major country music venue in Nashville, Richard Nixon gave a speech.
1: What country music is, is that first, It comes from the heart of America because this is the heart of America out here in middle America. Second, it relates to those experiences that mean so much to America. It talks about family. It talks about religion, the faith in God that is so important to our country and particularly to our family life. And, as we all know, country music radiates a love of this nation, patriotism. Country music, therefore, has those combinations which are so essential to America's character at a time that America needs character. Because today, let me tell you, the peace of the world for generations, maybe centuries to come, will depend not just on America's military might, which is the greatest in the world, or our wealth, which is the greatest in the world, but it's going to depend on our character, our belief in ourselves, our love of our country, our willingness to not only wear the flag, but for stand up for the flag. And country music does that.
0: Richard Nixon said that country music stands for our character, our belief in ourselves, our love for our country, our willingness to wear the flag and stand up for the flag. So this is in 1974. This was really when country music was established as a very Republican-based genre of music. I think at one point, country and folk music was alternative In the little amounts of research that I've done in school and on my own just for Gaylor theories, folk music used to be political but in a really daring radical way because it was coming from people who were living in rural america and had these like very autonomous ideas about government and politic but clearly there was a shift at some point in popular country music and i think 1974 is where it kind of went on to the upswing of being catered to conservative audiences the way that it is now a really great example of this is a song by Shelley wright which is called the bumper of my suv And this song is one of her most popular, most listened to songs. Um, It's from 2004, so way before she came out. And it reads, I've got a bright red sticker on the back of my car, says United States Marine. Yesterday a lady in a minivan held up her middle finger at me. Does she know what I stand for or the things that I believe? And she talks about, you know, veterans in Vietnam. And then in the third verse she says, that doesn't mean I want war. I'm not Republican or Democrat, but I've gone all crazy in this world just to try to better understand. And yes, I do have questions. I get to ask them because I'm free. (laughs) So even though she's saying I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, she's still emphasizing this idea of like, I have freedom though, because of the troops, which is a very imperialistic um, mindset. And this is kind of what I was trying to describe about how country music used to be this like I wouldn't say anti-political, but it was very, I don't know how to describe it, like libertarian, I guess, of being like I'm not Republican or Democrat, I just believe in freedom. <laughs> and of course, this is just one example from 2004 by Shelley Wright of a song that was political um and played on country music radio stations. But if you know anything about current country music and the climate, if you're clicking through your radio stations and you hear country, at least like the stadium country music, you know that they're like talking about America and their guns. And I mean, I don't know much about what's going on in that world right now, but I know Morgan Wallen is like basically a white supremacist and is just at the top of the country music charts and has been. So knowing what we know about country music and about the political climate of country music and what it's like to be a country musician... These are either your true values and you want to be a country musician because you want to spread the word of those values, I guess, and you want to cater to conservative audiences. Or you're a 15-year-old girl moving to Nashville and you want to be a country musician because you like telling stories and country music is known for its storytelling and her style of songwriting is inspired by country musicians. And then you're told that you have to represent all of those values as well, and that your entire public persona has to cater to the conservative audiences, as well as the songs that you write. I'm not saying that 15-year-old Taylor Swift wasn't conservative. I don't know what her political views were back then or her family or anything. But as we'll get to it, Shelly Wright emphasizes that all artists and celebrities, especially in Nashville, are encouraged to stay closeted, to enter bearding PR relationships, and to do anything they can to fit this cishet norm, because that is what's most profitable in that industry. And even though things are shifting a bit, and we see more country artists either coming out or being queer allies, I think Orville Peck is queer. I'm thinking of Kelsey Ballerini, who isn't out, I don't think, quote-unquote, but is a very strong ally. We all know how that goes. So even though things are shifting, air quotes, there's still people like Morgan Wallen who are at the top of their game in Nashville. So why doesn't she just come out, right? I guess there's the simple answer. She originally was a country music artist who was brought up in Nashville and by Nashville, by record labels in Nashville, by people like Scott Bruschetta in Nashville. I can imagine those being a big reason for her not quote-unquote coming out. So it was just a year before Richard Nixon said that country music represents America's character, love for our country, freedom, the flag, this and that. It was just a year before that, that Patrick Haggerty released an album called Lavender Country. This was country music's first gay album. It was actually funded by the Gay Community Social Services of Seattle, which I thought was really cool. It features a song called Crying These Cock Sucking Tears. <laughs> And apparently, a Seattle radio disc jockey lost her FCC license for playing that song on the air.
2: When the battle's begun, sir, I tell you I'm done, sir, crying these cocks I can The battle's begun, sir, I tell you I'm all done, sir. Some people call it courage. I prefer the term rabid, because that's certainly where I was, and very angry. Most of us were angry. Uh, I think the the anger was probably the uh, the bottom line emotion that spurred us all on. Everybody, including me who was involved, especially in the early 70s, was taking a real big risk. I'd been kicked out of the Peace Corps for, for being gay. I ended up in a mental institution. I spent from 1970 to 1978 jobless and unemployed because nobody would hire me because my mouth was so big about the issue. All of us knew that we were potentially sacrificing our life. I had more than one personal friend in the early 70s murdered.
0: He said, There was no genre in music willing to accept gay music, so it didn't matter, but we were going to be out no matter what genre we chose. We were desperate to get information about who we were, and the album allowed us to distribute information to anyone who'd order the vinyl. And of course, he emphasizes that anyone who did order the vinyl was probably hiding it from their friends and family, and it was probably being listened to in secret, but he said that the feedback he did hear was that it was saving people's lives. The album cover itself actually looks a lot like the designs for Speak Now Taylor's version, um, her merch designs. I will leave a link to where I found this interview so that you can look at the album too if you want, but it is in the same style as Taylor's Speak Now, Taylor's version merch. On the back of the album, it says, We'd like to tell you about Lavender Country. For many, it means a land of fear, confusion, and loneliness. For the rest of us, it means a life of struggling towards liberation and an affirmation of gayness the arts have always held a power in their ability to communicate the most intimate of thoughts and feelings. We have all been bombarded with the values and musical expressions of straight culture. Lavender Country's music seeks to confront the oppression gay people experience daily and affirm the joys of liberation. I think that album forward is beautiful. I love how they describe it being about fear, confusion, loneliness, as well as joy and celebrating liberation. Because a part of being queer is allowing all of those emotions to exist at once because you have to in order to survive, literally. If I woke up every day like completely crushed, afraid, confused, and lonely, and only focusing on those bits of my queerness, life would not feel like it was worth it. However, I also can't live in this like Delulu land where gay people are not oppressed at all and pretending that we are already liberated, even though things might be easier today for me personally, there are a lot of queer, specifically trans women of color out there who still live every day in fear and confusion and who aren't protected or liberated. And a part of liberating even the most vulnerable people within the queer community is celebrating them. And I just love that they acknowledged how complex the range of like queer emotions can be. We feel the deepest melancholia and fear while also feeling the deepest, deepest joys because any celebratory moment feels like liberation. I highly recommend y'all checking out his interview and reading more about this album. I had never heard of it before doing this research for this episode. But what a beautiful, important piece of um, queer history. Like he said, it was radical to release queer music in any genre, but especially country. I just have nothing but respect for everyone who was involved in making that album. And this was only in 1973. So it was literally only 50 years ago that country music was completely blacklisting this album. And people were being killed for making queer country music. And if that was 50 years ago, and Taylor Swift's career began less than 20 years ago in Nashville in country music, I would say that it makes sense why Taylor hadn't come out at any point in her career. Even in her documentary, Miss Americana, there's a really important scene where Taylor is arguing with her dad and the rest of her team about the possibility of coming out as a Democrat, And someone on her team, I think it was her dad, said, what if I came to you with this great idea that would cut your audience size in half? Or that would cut your tickets to your next tour in half? Basically fear-mongering her, saying, if you don't cater to your country music conservative audiences, if you don't cater to Republicans, you lose half of your fan base. But it's very telling that if That's just one scene in this documentary. I can't imagine how many other meetings have happened where Taylor's had to kind of fight just to be a little bit more liberal in her public image, let alone coming out as queer. No matter how powerful someone is, no matter how much money an artist has, they are still an artist and they're still working under major media conglomerates with tons of investors pouring money into their projects who honestly have the final say at the end of the day on a lot of her decisions. I think recently she's gained enough power in the past few years where she can kind of start being a lot more in control, especially after coming out as a Democrat. All right, now that we've learned a little bit about the history of country music being homophobic and about one of the first queer moments in country music, I want to get into this amazing artist named Shelley Wright. She is a country music artist from Kansas City, Missouri. She came out in 2010 by releasing a book called Like Me. She also came out with an album to accompany it, and later on she came out with a documentary about her experience being a closeted country artist and what it was like for her to plan her coming out. I watched the documentary recently and took some notes that I thought were really important and telling about the industry, coming straight from someone who went through the process of being closeted, being queer, bearding, hiding, and later on coming out as an artist who came from country music and out of Nashville. The documentary starts with her saying that nobody in Nashville is out if you're an artist. You're not out to the fans you're not out to the press you just don't do that and she emphasizes that this is something she was told time and time again even though she wasn't out to anyone before she even knew she was gay people would tell her if you are gay you do not come out she talks about how closeting and hiding her sexuality in the early days of her career um, almost killed her and how she struggled a lot with depression and anxiety and how she was forcing herself into these heterosexual relationships, her experience with compulsory heterosexuality, and how painful it was to be shoved into that box. She says, I was a small-town girl with a dream of moving to Nashville and becoming a famous country singer. That dream came true, but I was wrestling with a secret that could destroy everything I built. I mean, this quote could have been from Taylor Swift's mouth. Shelley's story really parallels Taylor's. I just did an episode on my Patreon where I was reading through the Speak Now, Taylor's version vault tracks. She has a song called Castle's Crumbling, which she sings with Haley Williams. And I think it's supposed to be about the VMA's situation with Kanye and her talking about how she assumed everyone hated her after that and how she felt like everything she built came crumbling down. But the first time that I read the lyrics to Castle's Crumbling, it really resembled how Shelly Wright described how she felt. And this quote when she says, I was wrestling with a secret that could destroy everything I built, just really reminds me of Castle's Crumbling. And obviously, I can never say for sure what Taylor's inspiration was for writing a song when she wrote it, any of that. I will never know that information. But Castle's Crumbling was written right around the time that Shelley Wright came out. And Taylor and Shelley were friends because they were obviously in the same industry and they had worked together to write some songs beforehand. So it wouldn't surprise me if Taylor was maybe inspired by Shelley Wright's story and some way in 2010 maybe if she was figuring out her own sexuality around that time and watching this big country artist come out and seemingly destroy everything that she had built she describes her experience growing up in rural missouri and she says that in the church homosexuality was grouped with words like lie cheat and steal i'm sure a lot of you can relate to that experience of homosexuality being a sin and being told that it's a sin growing up in church. And she says she knew she was gay since she was a kid, and there was like really no question about it, but she would just avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. As she grew up older and older, she would just like shove it farther back. And she said what got her through it, what got her through, you know, hiding and denying her own sexuality was music. She said, if I can't have love and I can't be who I am, I have music at least. Which sounds really, you know, familiar to Taylor's mentality. She's someone who copes with everything by writing music. And when you look at all of her discography and read her lyrics and her themes, it seems she's always struggling with this big secret that could destroy everything. Very similar to what Shelley said. During the documentary, they have a country music historian come in and talk about being gay in country music. He says, Country music embraces God, family, conservative values, and represents that core, middle-class, working-class, white America. Couldn't have said it better myself. What I found most interesting about him talking about what it's like to be a queer country artist and how that affects the audience, he says, Fans are loyal to an artist until they feel betrayed that betrayal can come from behavior or beliefs or actions. And specifically in country music, this is true because it's so based on the God family conservative values. So country music fans are very loyal to their artists until they feel betrayed in that way, like the Dixie Chicks. I'm surprised I haven't brought them up yet. (laughs) But Taylor talks about them in um, the Miss Americana documentary as well. She says that her fear was always to become like the Dixie Chicks. But I think this idea of betrayal coming from fans is very relevant to Taylor's fan base specifically. Taylor capitalizes on this parasocial relationship that she has with her fans. She's always said that she's very close to them. She messages with fans on all social media platforms. She used to invite them to her house for these secret session parties where she would play the album for them first and make them cookies. Talks about how all of her music is autobiographical and it's a part of her and all of her fans know how she feels and this and that. A big part of the Taylor Swift brand since the beginning of time is her parasocial interactions with fans and if you're a gayler and you've seen hetlers interact on social media with other gaylers you know that they get really frustrated when we talk about gayler theories because it doesn't add up to the timeline that they have for her or the story or the image that they have of her because swifties in general taylor swift fans including gaylers we are also parasocial with her but specifically Hedlers who want to see her as straight and want to fight with gaylers about it. They believe that they know Taylor and they know her story and they know how she feels. And if she were to have been closeting all this time, keeping this secret about her sexuality, dating people for PR, and essentially lying about who she is to the public in order to protect her private self they would feel that that was an act of betrayal, whether they admit it or not. I think this is a key point as to why she doesn't just say, I am gay. Because if Taylor were to come out, people would expect her to have some kind of label unless she just came out as like fluid or pansexual or something. But even then, people would start going back in time and they would start looking at her old PR relationships and they would start to see that things don't add up and that she has lied about things in the past because that's what celebrities do in order to create a public image and that would feel like a form of betrayal from her fans i think there were already echoes of that betrayal when she came out as a democrat all of her republican fans were like what do you mean because <laughs> they kind of had this image right they felt betrayed they were like since when do your beliefs and values not align with mine And if taylor were to admit that she's gay tomorrow all the hetlers would be like wait a minute i've been fighting for your heterosexuality online what do you mean as a gayler it was just very kind of validating to hear this country music historian just say straight up yeah this is what happens when country artists admit that they aren't conservative (laughs) they feel betrayed What I find super interesting about the Shelley Wright documentary is she talks a lot about how her plan for coming out was kind of always in the back of her mind, even at the beginning of her career. Even though she hadn't fully accepted that she was lesbian, she always knew that she could make a difference if she wanted to. She says, before I broke records, I was hiding already and I made myself a promise that once I get a hit record and some financial security and some strength in this business, then I'll come forward. I made that promise and I broke it because when I had my first hit, I wanted a number one and then I got a number one and the fear was something I couldn't face and my life became a big play that I was in. I love that she describes um, this idea of keeping her sexuality a secret and keeping her public persona up as a big play. Because when I look at Taylor, um, there has been a lot of times where it feels like she's just playing this role of Taylor Swift trademark, you know? And like she's in this big play, very Truman Show-coded, and she's just playing the role, you know? If the shoe fits, walk in it till your high heels break. It's a lyric from Long Story Short, reminds me of this quote and having to play that role. Similarly to Taylor, Shelley also emphasizes that she wanted to be seen as good and she wanted to be seen as a good person by the public at the very least. If she couldn't make a difference for queer kids, she wanted to make a difference in ways that she could. She says, quote, I did everything else I could to contribute to good things. And then they gave me awards for it. They brought me to the White House. They named me American Legion Woman of the Year. I was doing everything I could to ignore the one thing that I knew I could do. Very interesting that they named her American Legion Woman of the Year simply because she's a country artist and she was doing some charitable things. Again, country music really revolves around politics. Shelley Wright kind of was in a play because she, at that point, was becoming a political actor. One of the big reasons that they named her American Legion Woman of the Year was because she started a nonprofit for music programs in elementary schools where she was buying like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of instruments for schools all around the country and funding their music and arts programs, which is an amazing cause. Especially around this time, I feel like even though I was a kid, I do remember it being a big talk like culturally that schools all around the country and education wasn't prioritizing the arts. In general. And she got really emotional talking about her work for this nonprofit and how she just felt like it was her cowardly trying to help kids, knowing that there were specifically queer kids that she could be helping, which is like very, very sad. My heart was so heavy for her hearing her say this. In the documentary, she starts crying and she says, I can see them. I already see the kids, and they're the ones I can't see, like me. It's painful to go into these schools and see kids that already need me. And instead of pulling them close and telling them that they're like me and I'm like them, I put a trumpet in their hands and I say, hope that helps you feel like you fit in. I'm getting so emotional even thinking about this scene because she was heartbroken saying this. You could really see the pain in her eyes that she was like, yeah, I was helping kids, but I wasn't helping the kids who needed my help. I mean, like as someone who grew up queer and with not very many queer idols, especially not in country music at all, it just hurt my heart to know that she carries all that guilt because it's true, you know, like you can you can help in the ways that you can help. But at the end of the day, she's still hiding a secret and she knows that she could be helping queer kids specifically if it only weren't for this big secret and if it only weren't for who she was in the industry There's a scene with Shelly's hair and makeup artist where she talks about how she used to do hair and makeup all around Nashville. And she said, there's tons of artists in Nashville that are gay, but they never say it. And you can feel it. Everyone's very sexually repressed there. The hair and makeup artist's name is Sherry, and she describes how she herself is queer, and she was queer when she was first working with Shelly and out. And she had a girlfriend Who was like her serious partner and she said i picked up vibes from shelly and i asked her are you gay while we were on you know the set of a music video one time i just asked her straight up and shelly's response was sherry you just don't ask people that you don't get to do that and sherry said that shelly accused her of outing her and sherry's response was i'm outing you to yourself And she ends up saying that she just knew that Shelly couldn't accept it and she respected that and she understood it and she never brought it up again. I think something that straight people often don't recognize is like even if someone is a flaming gay, that doesn't mean that they're ready to admit it to themselves or that they feel safe enough to share that with anyone. Gaylor's pointing out, you know, Taylor's lyrics being gay and Taylor herself claiming to be an ally and all of these things taylor herself could tell me to my face i am straight and i would still be a gayler and i would still find gay themes in her music because just like sherry picked up on Shelley being gay queerness is multi-dimensional queerness is energetic queerness is something you feel not necessarily something that you have to speak about or name for you just like to know When I was a child, I made friends with a group of gay people in my elementary school who I don't even know if they're gay now, but I know that they're gay. (laughs) I don't know if they're out now. I don't know if they would consider themselves queer now, but even back then I knew that they were. Before I even knew that I was or I knew what that meant or before I could name it, I flocked to certain people in my life because I could feel that they were queer like me, that they experienced life in the same way that I did. Queerness is a lens. It's not just about sexuality and attraction and your relationships to other people. And even though Shelly literally got mad at Sherry and said you can't ask people that, Sherry, who is also queer, understood what that meant. She understood that she couldn't accept it, and she respected that, never asked about it again. Does that mean that Shelley Wright was lying to her? Does that mean that Shelley Wright isn't gay and Shelley is <laughs> homophobic for saying that? No. It means Shelley's queer and dealing with her queerness in the way that she was at the time. She goes on to talk about her secret relationship that she had. She says she met the love of her life when she was 23. And that she was Catholic, and they moved in with each other. She said that they hid, that no one knew they were together, and they didn't tell anyone that they moved in together, nothing. But Shelly was still not satisfied with life. Even though she had this queer relationship happening in private, and she had found a partner who kind of understood what it was like to hide and to come from a religious background, she was not happy still. She says, I was at the top of my career, and I would get off stage, take my makeup off, and immediately look in the mirror and say, who are you? What are you doing? This totally reminded me of the Delicate music video where Taylor is looking in the mirror and, like, making silly, goofy faces at herself and whatever. It's just, like, the first imagery that comes to mind when I heard this quote. They interviewed her tour manager at the time and asked about, did you know anything about Shelly's relationship at the time? And he says, she was private about her life and relationships. I knew she wasn't very attracted to men, but my job was just to protect her no matter what the stance was. Every now and then I'd hear something and a lot of people would say, don't ask, don't tell. Like, it's not my business. The notion of don't ask, don't tell, which originally comes from the military, being implemented into Nashville country artist culture makes a lot of sense. (laughs) I actually am so glad that he used the phrasing don't ask, don't tell, because that is exactly what this is. What I find super interesting about her tour manager saying all of this too is this was someone who was really close to her at the time, and he still didn't know anything. Shelley wouldn't necessarily deny that she was gay or bring anything up, but she also wouldn't say that she was. And he, even though he had heard Rumors that she was gay. He was like, I don't want to ask, and it's not my business. I'm here to protect her and be her tour manager. So it makes me think a lot about Taylor's team and how much they know about her sexuality or how she identifies. It makes me wonder how much they know about her relationships and if it really is just they know what we know and everything else is a complete secret in private, which wouldn't surprise me if her team even didn't know about her relationships in private because shit never gets leaked so <laughs> ironclad ndas and loyalty will do that for you her and her secret partner both didn't want to be out so it worked out for them to be kind of in hiding together but while they were living together and fully together they both tried dating men um which is what lesbians have to do to survive right they have to beard pretend they're in relationships with men in order to continue to be gay in private of course, Shelly is referring to her public relationship with Brad Paisley, who is another country artist. She said that she cut him off completely one day out of the blue because she didn't have it in her to tell him the truth, and that she just like felt horrible and guilty about that relationship, and that she treated him really poorly because she didn't want him. And it was just kind of this final grasp at her own heterosexuality. Another person who worked with her said that she went to extensive lengths to try to paint the image that she was man-crazy, and it felt less about her convincing all of us and more about her convincing herself that she was man-crazy, which tracks, I think it's that compulsory heterosexuality of when you finally kind of feel fulfilled in a queer relationship, and then you're like, oh god, but what am I missing if I'm not a cis het girl? <laughs> And especially when she's like having to hide this private queer relationship and it's in secret and all of these things that make it so painful and like a pressurized cage chamber that she's in. Of course, she feels like it'll be more freeing and fulfilling to maybe try to date a man in public and be man crazy. You know, sometimes that seems like the the easier option because we live in a society where it is the easier option. Hence why Taylor Swift publicly only dates men. The interviewer asked her if any of her country music peers ever asked her about being gay. And she says that only one of her peers came to her and said, you're not gay, are you? And she said that he was really mad about it. And he was really trying to intimidate her because he had heard something. And he was basically trying to fearmonger her into staying in the closet and said, thank God you're not gay because if you are, that's not right. And country music won't have it. It's a sinful lifestyle if that's what you would have chosen for yourself, and it's not cool. She says that that caused her to break up with her girlfriend a week or two later. So even this country musician who's at the top of her game on like a sold out tour, had number one records and albums, is being told by one of her peers that she cannot be gay and that it's sinful and that country music will not have it. And this is in the early 2000s. This is not a long time ago. This was less than 10 years before Taylor entered the scene. Let's not forget, Taylor Swift got her start in country music. She might be pop star, superstar, powerhouse in all genres now, but that was not always the case. And you have to imagine teenage Taylor Swift coming onto the country music scene and hearing similar language from her country music peers and label executives. The language of, like, you can't be gay, you can't be liberal, you can't be yourself. Like, that's a sinful lifestyle. Even if they didn't know she was gay, she's hearing this rhetoric. And it's being implanted in her teenage brain that that's not something that she can do. Am I getting across that country music is a homophobic industry yet. Hello, it's Madison while I'm editing again. Hi, um, I completely forgot to mention this very famous interview by Shelley Wright during her book release, and a fan asked her what it was like to be queer in Hollywood, and this clip is just really, really important, so I wanted to make sure to include it in this episode. It also ties into a scene in You Need to Calm Down where Taylor wakes up in her trailer, that is in the gay trailer park, and she turns on a blender and shoves a bunch of, like, cotton candy in it. It's a very random scene that I didn't understand at the time but if we apply Shelly Wright's blender metaphor which you'll hear about right now it makes a lot of sense why she included that scene in You Need to Calm Down. So here's that clip of Shelly. Cool
2: yes sir. As someone who has lived the double life in Hollywood and show business how do you feel the political and social climate of being gay in Hollywood and the music industry is for someone who's like gone through it the process?
3: Well, it's insane. It's inhumane. Something's got to give, and the machine of the hiding, and there's a big machine, let me tell you. I can't, I'm not an authority on Hollywood. I have marginal relationships with Hollywood, but I have enough relationships with people in Hollywood to know, I know a few people who are in hiding and have been in hiding. And what happens is the machine stays intact. And if you can imagine a blender, and people get into it, and the hiding just spits them out, and they, they don't, you don't survive. You can't stay in it. Um, but the machine stays fully intact, and it's unforgiving, and and it ki- it kills people spiritually and oftentimes physically. And you you know you you tend to see people. Uh, I won't name names um, because it's not my business to do so. But when you just pay attention to the people that you see, that God, they had such a good career. What happened to that guy? Or what happened to that girl? Now, now she's she's a mess. She's in rehab again. Or she was at such. She had 12 hit movies, and where did she go? Pay attention because it's no fault of theirs. When you hurt so bad, and when you hide, and you are denied holding hands with your girlfriend or holding hands with your boyfriend or talking about in an interview about I spent the holidays with my girlfriend when you are denied that basic primal joy that everyone else gets to have it hurts and what, we, what do you do when it hurts? you medicate. when you have a headache you take an aspirin. when you are tired you sleep we medicate pain that's a, hu- a basic thing that we do as humans and when you notice that these people get kicked out of that blender and just, that machine just, it's going to keep going. And it's going to keep going until somebody who has something to lose stands up and just says, I'm gay. Somebody big, I mean, you know, I, I had something to lose, but I'm not, we made a huge, huge star at the top of their field, at the very top to stand up and say, I'm gay, and I'm normal, and I'm not a mess, and I have a monogamous, happy, loving relationship. We need those people. Nate Berkus said it so beautifully on the Larry King show the other night when I was on with him. He said, where are our heroes?
0: It might be 2023, but, like, queer people are still oppressed, especially in places like Nashville, Tennessee, So when people say things like, well, it's 2023, shouldn't Taylor Swift come out? It's like, yeah, she's a billionaire, almost, and (laughs) has all this power in the industry. She probably could come out, question mark. Could she, though? Anyways, back to Shelley Wright. She broke up with her girlfriend about a week after that country musician told her that being gay is a sinful lifestyle. After breaking up with her girlfriend, she says that she became extremely suicidal. She said, quote, It occurred to me that I had masterfully created a life that I don't want. I don't want this life. I made a mess of my life. Her use of the word masterful reminds me of the song Mastermind. I think Taylor quite literally explains in that song why she hasn't come out. All the wisest women had to do it this way. We were born to be the pawns in every lover's game. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Strategy sets the scene for the tale. Taylor's calling herself a mastermind for creating these intricate narratives about who she is and about her lovers, an entire public life, an entire tale of a story of Taylor Swift. And in The Bridge, she confesses that it's all because no one wanted to play with her as a little kid. So Shelly describing that she had this masterful plan in creating this life and she had this whole plan to rise to the top and then eventually come out and help all of these younger queer people. Even though that was originally her planned all along in like a mastermind sense, the fear was too much for her to do all of that. And by the time that she was big enough, she was way too afraid to come out. And that's what made her suicidal. She's like, what have I done? I made this entire narrative for myself and I'm too afraid to knock it all down. She goes on to describe that she did almost attempt suicide and then ended up going on like a seven mile bike ride or something to clear her head and that like god saved her and she got very spiritual about it which is valid you know god means different things to different people and that she could feel this um energy throughout her bike ride that she was still meant to do something bigger she says that she started writing the song like me and she said it's about the trauma of being gay and she decided that she was gonna come out with that song. She said, I can't be the only one who's suffering like this. And that was when she decided it's time for me to start planning my coming out. And it's time for me to do this, not for myself, but for all the other queer people who suffer in this way and don't have my power in this position. She said, quote, if I do it in a proper way and get myself to the top of the mountain and I say it, more people will hear it and it'll be more effective. And that's what I wanna do. That quote really reminded me of Taylor talking about winning her Grammy for 1989. In the Miss Americana documentary, she says, I had gotten to the top of this mountain, but I was alone. I had no one to like high-five. I I was still alone. No amount of success could fill this void of loneliness that she was having. Just interesting that um, parallel in language with Shelley and Taylor both at the top of their careers and still feeling this like hole. So in order to come out, um, Shelly talked to her team and they were basically like, oh hell no, this is not just going to happen overnight. We need to plan for this to happen and it needs to be like an entire thing, which they basically told her that it was going to take like three years in order for this plan to work. Does that sound familiar how Taylor says that she plans for things to happen three years in advance? She had three publicists working with her for this, and they said that you have to do it this way or you're not going to have the forum to get out there and to be an entertainer or a social activist. Basically, if we don't coordinate your book release and album release and you coming out in a very carefully planned, methodical way, you're not going to have any job anymore as an entertainer or as an activist. No one will know who you are. And Shelly expresses that it was disappointing that she had to do it this way and that it had to be this methodical, but like Taylor said, all the wisest women have to do it this way, right? And she tells her team... I know who my fans are and I don't think they'll understand. I think a lot of people follow me because they think they know who I am, which goes back to the point that the country music historian was saying where the biggest thing with country music is that fans trust these artists and their values and their beliefs. And the worst thing a country artist could do is betray that trust, which is exactly what Shelly's acknowledging here. She's like, I know who my fans are. They're not gonna understand (laughs) why I'm doing this. The reason they're my fans is because they think they know who I am. And I think that can be said for really any celebrity or artist because they all have public personas that aren't exactly who they are in the private. So even aside from Taylor or Shelley Wright, this is kind of how it works to be a celebrity. That parasocial illusion of trust and the projection of beliefs and values onto these figures. Fans who are listening to music, buying albums, like giving their money to these labels, they're fueled by this trust, this parasocial connection. So when you break that, you betrayed them. Although I wasn't really old enough to understand what was going on with the Dixie Chicks, I do think it's interesting that the one time they spoke about like their politics, everyone boycotted them and like destroyed their CDs and they were just like blacklisted basically from country music. But it's like, Had they really spoken on their politics before that? Did people just assume that the default was that they were Republicans and they would never speak against Bush? (laughs) Maybe I need to do more research on the Dixie Chicks. I'm interested to see how that betrayal of their fans looked. Just to give an idea of the process of what it would look like for someone as big as Taylor Swift to come out in a really big official grand statement type of way Even Shelley Wright back in 2007, 2008, when she was planning her coming out, had to wait three years, first of all, and plan all of this shit with a team of publicists. And she had to do media training for like three months prior to the release of the book and the album so that she knew how to answer homophobic questions that interviewers were bound to ask her not only on country music radio stations but mainstream media because in case you forgot people are homophobic and they especially were even more homophobic in 2010 so they show these really interesting clips of her having media training with this like professional and he's basically teaching her how to not get angry at homophobic questions and how she can answer them in a polite way and like smile and use the correct wording so that people don't see her as an evil gay (laughs) and he tells her you know emphasize that you still have christian values and you're still the same shelly but you're just gay one of the questions that he was briefing her on to expect when she was going on her big media release tour was what do you think about all the people who say that you're just trying to profit off of um coming out as gay and her response is If you know anything about country music, you know that the best way to sell an album or a book about a country singer would not be to come out of the closet. Uh, I wish I could get that quote printed on a t-shirt, because when people ask me, why wouldn't Taylor Swift just come out? Even though Taylor Swift is not a country artist anymore by any means, I guess, if you know anything about the country music industry, you would know she would not do all of this just for money. I remember explaining to people, like, my Gayler theories about, like, folklore and Evermore back in 2020, 2021, and everyone was like, isn't she just trying to profit off of queerness? And people always say that about Harry Styles, too, for some reason, and it's just like, do you really think that there's that much of a market for, for queer-coded music? I mean, maybe now that Taylor and Harry have, like, created this market, but there's not. <laughs> Like, I highly, highly doubt that Taylor Swift would make the You Need to Calm Down music video in 2019 in order to make more money. I really, really doubt that that made more money than than any of her other stuff. Her answer was also, I'm coming out because I have a public capital and this is how I'm using it. It is not about my career. So she emphasizes, like, it's not because I want my career to go farther and I'm trying to make money off of a gay audience. I'm doing it because I want every queer person in this country to understand that if I'm gay, it's okay for them to be gay too. Very admirable, honestly, at this time. Another quote I loved from her that was very um, Taylor-coded was her talking about her songwriting. And she says, Even though I was closeted, I was still telling authentic stories. And storytelling through my music was perhaps the only place where I didn't feel like I was a fraud. I think that's very interconnected with the themes of folklore and evermore and how Taylor emphasizes, I'm flexing my storytelling muscles here and these are all fictional, this, that, whatever. And then she slowly has like unraveled that they are not fictional and they're actually autobiographical and all of that. But I could really see Taylor um, tapping into this quote and just being like, yeah, storytelling is the only place where I don't feel like a fraud, I think. Taylor getting to storytell on Folklore and evermore, um, infusing her own emotions and autobiographical stories into these characters did make her feel like less of a fraud. And it made a lot of us see her as queer people, because even if the stories aren't necessarily about Taylor, they're queer. Queerness doesn't have to be named like that for us to know that it's queer. The documentary ends with her like going in this pride parade and it was really, really cute. I highly recommend you guys watching the documentary. There were a lot of parts that I obviously (laughs) didn't get to. I was trying not to make this just a whole synopsis of the Shelley Wright documentary, but there were just so many good quotes. Anyways, the documentary ends saying that Shelly continued to perform music after that, but that she has not received a single invitation from the country music world since coming out with her book and album and this documentary. Which, again, is telling of how homophobic it is. Shelly Wright literally came out and they were like, Nope, you are not invited anywhere ever again. Blacklisted. Done huge major shout out to Shelly Wright. She has a lot of cool other projects that she still is pretty active with, so you should check out her Twitter. If we're talking about Shelly Wright's Twitter, now might be a good time to mention that Shelly Wright is a Gaylor, and I don't say that lightly. In January of this year, Shelly Wright was active on Gaylor Twitter. Just for context, the original tweet was from at Real who said, I need Taylor Swift to bring at Shelly Wright out in Nashville on May 5th as a surprise guest. It's her 13-year anniversary of coming out to which one of my moots, Almu, replied, who's at No Barbie No Crime, and Almu said, Shelly, if you read this, we love you and look up to you. Shelly Wright quote tweeted it and said, I see you, period. I see you all. My love for at Taylor Swift is deep and wide. Not only is it crazy that Shelley Wright was openly just responding to a couple of gaylers talking about her, the fact that she said, I see you, and that ended up being a vault track for Speak Now, um, which was announced that weekend. <laughs> I don't know if Shelley Wright was trying to like let us know that that was going to happen, like something was going to happen on that weekend. But Speak Now, Taylor's version was announced May 4th, which was the 13th anniversary of Shelley Wright coming out. Taylor performed in Nashville that weekend, likely place for her to be on the anniversary of Shelly Wright coming out. And of course, one of the Speak Now Vault tracks is I See You. So I think that that tweet from Shelly Wright was Easter egging I See You as a Vault track, as well as the fact that there was going to be an announcement on that weekend. Now you might be wondering Has Shelly mentioned Taylor in the past? Are they friends? What's their relationship like? Obviously, Taylor acknowledges Shelley in some way, if she was literally planning for the Eras tour to be in Nashville on the weekend of her 13 year anniversary of coming out and announces Speak Now on that same night with a really gay, really, really gay foreword for the album. Well, there's actually a unreleased song that Taylor and Shelley worked on together in 2006, which was a very long time ago before Taylor even had her break as an artist, really. And you can look it up if you want. I will, of course, put links to everything that I've been talking about in the description of this episode. But Thinking About You is really gay. And obviously, I can't say if Taylor Swift as like a teenager sat down with Shelly Wright and was like, hey, I'm gay. Can we write a gay song? And I can't guarantee that Shelly Wright sat down and was like, hey, I'm gay. Let's write a queer coded song together. Like they didn't. But When two gay people get together, it's more than likely that whatever they write is going to have some themes of gayness in it, right? The lyrics read, Walked into a chair leg as I was thinking about you. Your face jumped right in my way, as things lately do. Oh baby, can't you see? The thought of you makes a mess of me. I walked into a chair leg as I was thinking about you. And the chorus reads, Now I can't walk straight, I can't talk straight, can't think about anything but the way it should be, it could be. Until you come around again, I'll be doing what I usually do, thinking about you. In the second verse, which sounds a lot like Tis the Damn Season, she says... I get lost when i drive around town thinking about your smile always end up your side of town and i don't know why must be something under this hood nobody's strong like you and then the third verse reminds me of gold rush your eyes are the color of the great big sea the one i go swimming in every time you look at me that is quite literally the premise of gold rush twinkling gleaming eyes like sinking ships on waters so inviting i almost jump in I hope that Thinking About You gets re-recorded for debut as, like, a vault track or something. I really, really, really hope so. This is me manifesting. I'm crossing my fingers. Shelley Wright, if you hear this, please go re-record Thinking About You with Taylor. Taylor, if you're listening, please go re- Anyone who can get this message to them, please put Thinking About You as a vault track for debut, please. Aside from them writing a song together in 2006, there was also a interview in 2019 with shelley wright on cnn the day that you need to calm down came out and shelley did a pretty long interview with them which again i will link below and i recommend you watching where she says taylor swift's messages that she's sending in this song and video is going to save queer people's lives she's very careful with her language, obviously. She's not gonna be like, wow, Taylor Swift gay, it's gonna save lives. She's just like, this is an amazing message that she's sending for inclusivity and equality. But the quote that I was most curious about was, she said, I would read liner notes as if they were bedtime stories as a kid, and nowhere did I read anything about being homosexual. And that's Shelley referring to, like, those album booklets with all of the lyrics to the songs, and how she used to read them as a kid, like, looking for lyrics to relate to, and that there was never anything that was homosexual. There was nothing gay for her to relate to. And that made my heart swell because I also used to do that as a kid, just like reading album booklets and specifically Taylor's and like unscrambling the letters in it and everything. And I think it's Shelley kind of alluding to the way that Taylor has done that and being like, she forces her fans, <laughs> not forces them, <laughs> but she encourages her fans to go looking for clues in her album booklets because she capitalizes random letters and used to leave little secret messages in them and all of that. So she's alluding to the fact that, you know, when I was a i wasn't able to read album liner notes and see anything gay but with taylor's music kids have a chance to do that and i just think that that's so beautiful because i have been reading taylor's lyrics since i was a queer little kid before i even knew it and i did read those things like bedtime stories i remember losing a couple of the album booklets because they would just like float around outside of their cd cases thank you shelly for the um album booklet reader representation I'm assuming that's what Dear Reader is about. People that are willing to read her lyric, read the album booklets like she's been begging to all of these years, all of these years since the beginning of her career. She's just been begging people to read her lyric. Therefore, Dear Reader must be about the people who are reading her lyrics, aka Gayle. But I also wanted to talk about a couple of other interviews that Shelly Wright has had about being queer in country music and really interesting ties to Taylor's themes in her music and possible easter eggs that she's been leaving alluding to Shelly Wright's music. Shelly did an interview with Country Queer about her album Picket Fences, which, if you know, the song High Infidelity by Taylor Swift talks about your picket Fence is sharp as knives. I was dancing around it, and it's kind of a song about how—well, I'm assuming it's about how she has kind of betrayed the trust of Hitler's, and that's like the high infidelity is like I lied about who I was because your picket fence is sharp as knives. Your expectations of me, um, to be this like cis-hetero princess, are painful and caused me to like do this little dance and lie about everything. And I always kind of knew and interpreted those lyrics to be that way and interpreted picket fence to be an allusion to nuclear families, cishet norms, whatever. Taylor also used picket fences in the You Need to Calm Down music video. Her entire queer gay trailer park in that music video is lined by a picket fence, a white picket fence. So I think it's kind of an allusion to um, queer people being fenced in in Nashville by like these standards. The interviewer says that picket fences reminds them of other 90s country songs by women where country music was starting to expand and it was more outward looking, but um, there was still the sense of feeling constrained by picket fences or the kinds of conditions that heteronormativity was creating, um, especially in conservative audiences. And they said, I suppose that it's a lot more nuanced for LGBTQ people outside of just like women feeling constrained by picket fences. She says, picket fences was my kind of exploration of how I was talking myself into why I would never come out, why I probably didn't want these traditional family kinds of experiences that other people were having. And when you think you can't have something long enough, you start to tell yourself, well, I don't want that. Who wants that? And that was the question that picket fences was asking the lyrics read what's so great about picket fences painting them is such a mess in a backyard where kids can play and probably never get a moment's rest and setting the table for five at five only means more dishes to load what's so great about picket fences i guess i'll never know such a clever little song about the idea of like an american heteronormative nuclear family and really adds a lot of context to high infidelity Shelley Wright even specifically uses the word tolerated as a way to describe the way that people treat queer issues. She says, quote, There are some artists who don't want to have the discussion about race or racial injustice equality, not just tolerance. I've long said, I don't want to be tolerated. One tolerates a toothache. One tolerates rush hour traffic. One tolerates a neighbor with a cluttered yard. I do not want to be tolerated. I want to be celebrated. She says, I've never really loved that term tolerance, despite the fact that there are some artists and people in the industry who are not into pride events or celebrating people like me. There are a significant number of marquee hitmakers right now who are willing during pride month or coming out month to tweet or put an Instagram post up about queer issues. And that's huge progress. I think she's kind of alluding to Taylor Swift in this part or artists like her. But she literally said point blank, I do not want to be tolerated as a queer person. I want to be celebrated. And that is a quote that Taylor later uses in the song Tolerate It, as well as a quote that she uses in a radio interview about you need to calm down when she says, I want my queer friends and family to know that I celebrate their love. I don't just tolerate it. So here's Taylor again aligning herself with Shelly Wright in a very obvious way, using the same rhetoric. I'm assuming because their stories are very paralleled. I'm sure Taylor relates to Shelly Wright's story a lot. The interviewer asks a really important question and says, where would you say the barriers facing queer people in country music have come from? Often in discussions about country radio, it's said that airplay reflects the attitudes of their audiences, a.k.a. whatever songs that country music is playing reflects the beliefs and attitudes and values of the audiences who listen to it. People in the industry are generally quite liberal, but when you get out into regional radio, that's where the issues are. How do you see this issue? She says, can I say that country music is homophobic? I can until it proves me otherwise. I can also say that our nation is homophobic. I can also say that our world at large is homophobic. It doesn't mean that everyone's homophobic. But when you think of who compromises the country music industry, there are so many liberal people that work on Music Row. Publicists, songwriters, marketing people. Now I'll tell you there are plenty of homophobic people in the industry too. But here's the rub. We all know to whom we are packaging the product. We're making records, trying to get them on radio and trying to sell them in Walmart in Ottawa, Kansas, in Target, in Fresno, California. If you go anywhere 45 minutes to an hour outside of a major metropolitan area, you are in conservative America. And in conservative America, the number one most consumed kind of music is country music. So for producers and people on Music Row pulling the levers of who gets a shot at radio, they're thinking it's so expensive to put an artist out there. And they can't afford to put all of those resources into an artist to go out there that has strikes against them. So why would they choose to break the norms? And the answer to that, I say, is because they should. Because they have a responsibility. They have a moral responsibility they have a human responsibility and they have the power to break some of those norms and i think they need to look at themselves in the mirror and say you know what's going to be said about me and what i did for progress and to make the world better and different i think some people in the industry are asking themselves that question now and it's bearing pretty exciting results so here in this quote shelley writes pretty pissed right (laughs) He's straight up calling country music homophobic and saying, until it proves me otherwise, that is what I'm going to say. And while I'm at it, this country's homophobic and the world is homophobic. Let's not forget queer people are oppressed systemically. This is not just country music. And she makes a great point of like, of course, there's liberal people that work in Nashville and on Music Row. There's publicists, songwriters, marketing people, all of these people that work to put these albums and artists out and to promote them and create their public image. No matter how liberal those people might be, they know who they're packaging the product for. They're for people who are in rural areas outside of metropolitan cities. They're people in conservative America. And at the end of the day, everyone on Music Row is putting money and investments into these artists. And they can't afford to, to put it into an artist who's taking risks like that on country radio. And here Shelly Wright is just like pleading for artists and everyone in Music Row alike to want to change that. Like, why would you choose to break the norms if it's not going to make you any money and if it's going to be a huge risk? And it's because you should. And I love how straight up Shelly is about that. It really, uh, it just, it, it it hits something in my heart and in my brain. I'm like, yes, thank you for just like speaking logic. So again, when people ask me, why wouldn't Taylor Swift just come out? Because, look at what goes into packaging up an artist like her and look at who they're packaging her up for and who they have been packaging her up for for almost 20 years. (laughs) Of course, now that's shifting. And I think Taylor's team and image is shifting to be more rebellious and grown up and more queer, obviously. So like, it's Um, she's openly queer now (laughs) she hasn't officially stated that she's gay but i think it's pretty obvious to anyone who pays attention that she is so i guess it kind of begs the question of like will she eventually name that she's gay maybe when she releases her debut album which is her last country re-record that she'll do maybe that will be her moment where she harnesses like all of this power that she's gotten and uses it to shift everything in country music and in the industry in general i think that's kind of what she's alluding to in the karma music video when her and ice spice make it to the top of the mountain and she harnesses literally her power with her lasso and like wraps around the moon or whatever but i think that that would be a really great way for taylor to just cap off all of her very open queerness over the past few years by releasing debut her first country album where her image was first created and releasing it for the audiences who are obviously waiting for her country re-recording and saying hey fuck you by the way i'm gay and i have been gay and this album is gay because i'm gay (laughs) I mean, that's where she established her, her audience to begin with was that first album. So it would be kind of incredible for her to make a really public official statement around the time of re-releasing debut. Just completely rewrite history and change everyone's perspective. Um, the final point that I want to make here is Taylor clearly aligns herself with Shelley Wright because on Evermore, she wrote the song Cowboy Like Me which is a song about telling rich people whatever they want to hear, pretending to be in love just so that you can get money and power and recognizing queerness in other people and that idea of like it takes one to know one. And I think it's a beautiful little nod to Shelly and it's Taylor flagging that she's queer. She's a cowboy like Shelly. Although I know that this episode wasn't entirely about Taylor herself, I hope that I... Really painted the picture of how homophobic um, the industry can be, specifically country music, and how that would influence the uh, trajectory of Taylor's career as a queer person and as a closeted queer person. And I hope that it emphasizes like the gravity of what it's like to come out as queer as a celebrity in general. Because while it's really easy to say why doesn't she just come out, the answer is it's not profitable, and we live in a capitalist society, and it wasn't profitable for Taylor Swift to be a queer artist. So. Ha <laughs> It's just as simple as that, I guess. And homophobia exists, so there's the other one. Not to mention all of the people that she's been publicly tied to and the fact that this would cause people to ask a lot of questions about her previous public partners, as well as her private life and her private relationships. I think what she's doing now is this like glass closet situation, which she has flagged plenty of times in her music video imagery and in the AeroStore imagery, where she's just kind of allowing people to see her if they choose to. And maybe down the line, she'll write some big book like Shelly did and come out with a big documentary about how hard it has been for her to figure out her identity in this industry, as well as what it's been like for her to have to cater to these conservative audiences. I think that the Miss Americana documentary was a great start to lay the groundwork for an eventual official coming out movie, but um, for now, she is out. She has made it very clear that she is queer. She put out You Need to Calm Down in the Lover album in 2019, and since then, she has made it very, very obvious that she is queer, regardless of her little public boyfriends. So, at the end of every episode, I had said that I want to shout out one of my favorite Gaylor creators who has really great theories and who I want to support. So, today, I want to shout out one of my very treasured moots at Femme. They are a friend of mine in the scalar sphere, and there is not just one specific theory that they have brought to light, there are several. I think their knowledge of queer history and like the research that they do into queer archives in order to connect to Taylor's current work is just groundbreaking. There have been so many things that they have pointed out that have snowballed into big, giant, important theories, and it all, like, started with ChocoFemme, so I don't want to shout out your real name, but I love you so much, and thank you for all the amazing work that you do to teach us all on Gaylor Twitter about queer history beyond Taylor's music. I have learned so much from you, both on Twitter and off Twitter, and please go support them. Follow them on Twitter. I'll link it below. Also, if you don't know, I started my Patreon page where I uploaded my very first episode last week, like an hour and a half of me going through Speak Now vault tracks, talking about the possible theory of Emma Stone and Taylor Swift dating at one point. I go through their entire friendship timeline. It's a little Delulu, but it's fun. I also watched the I Can See You music video and went over a few of my interpretations and theories having to do with Chip Lady being in the van and what message Taylor's trying to send with all the glasses. Closets and everything. On Patreon, I plan to be a little more cheeky and talk about silly theories having to do with like muses for songs and things that I'm afraid to get like sued for saying on the main feed. (laughs) So if you want to support not only my Patreon episodes but also my main feed episodes, please check out my Patreon. I'm so grateful for the support, and I have pages and pages of notes for future episodes for both the main feed and the Patreon. I love you all so dearly. I love you, Gaylor community. Thank you for allowing me to have this little corner where I can just ramble. And thank you for listening. I hope I answered the question today, why doesn't Taylor Swift just come out? And in doing that, I really hope it's cool that I said all that. Peace and love.